Hi, my name's Doug. A lot of you guys have seen me in uh, the video, and now we're like one step closer because I can see you from this far up. <laughs> so maybe in what, 2021 or 2022, maybe we'll get the whole thing going here. Um, so yeah, thanks for letting me come back again. It's good to be here in person and uh, see faces, put names to faces and that, that type of type of thing, and so uh, I wanted to um, say that you guys have been going through Ephesians, and today was supposed to be Ephesians chapter 6, the last, um, last chapter of Ephesians, and after talking with Steve a little bit and some of my own thoughts, um, it's, it felt like we're going on this trail, right, and um, there are two types of hikers, in my opinion. Um, all hikers are good hikers, but there are two types. Um, hikers that are like destination, man, I'm going to get there, and I can't wait to see what happens at the end, and bam, they're going. And then there are the other hikers that are like, oh, there's a flower, there's a ladybug, oh, <laughs> you know, and they enjoy the process, they enjoy the journey, and um, I'm the latter, my wife is the former, or no. Yes, she's not my wife, but she's working for friends. This is Becky. Um, let's put it easier. I like the destination. My wife likes the journey. All right? Well, today we are going to take a step off from the journey and stop at the destination, or stop before the destination, the journey being Ephesians, taking a step off, and we're going to look around. We're going to look around at some beautiful uh, scenery, some nice trees, some great lakes, um, some clear blue skies, but then we're going to also look at some burnt out things, some decaying things, some rotting animals, some things that are probably hard to look at. Um, so we're going to go into doing that. And just to be uh, transparent, like I wasn't going to be transparent, um, just, to, just to put it out there, we're going we're gonna to talk specifically about um, Black Lives Matters, police brutality, um, suffering, pain, our response to that, big topic, lots of books, lots of people have written on it. We're going to scratch away at it today because it's out there in front of us and it's hitting worldwide. And I can imagine some of you are like going, can we for the love of God get away from that for one time because I can't get away from it anywhere else. And there are probably a few of you going, it's about time we talked about it in a church setting, in a church setting. So there's a wide berth of people's uh, thoughts and experiences with that. Part of the way we're going to do that is I'm going to have Becky come on up. And we're going we're gonna, to, um, Becky's an Old Testament professor, and she really loves it when you say Dr. Becky Josberger. And you just go, hello, Dr. Becky Josberger, I'm so impressed by you. She really likes that. <laughs> so um, we're going we're gonna to take a um, conversational approach for a couple of reasons. One is um, she's got a lot of great insight, and we've talked about this before, and I, I think rather than me trying to pull, pull it and then give it to you, it's great to come from her experience. Also, we're modeling a, modeling a discussion here, and that's one of the things that's been asked for forever um, about race, race relations, is, is to have a discussion. So let's 
put that into practice here. Another reason is it doesn't feel like I'm just regurgitating information to you and I'm telling you what I think and why I think that and whatever. It is a process and we're, we're learning, we're at different stages. Um, one more caveat before I let uh, Becky tell you about some of her things is um, just by the act of me mentioning Black Lives Matters, police brutality, injustice, it seems like a very either-or position, either one side or the other. And I've had to, especially in the last months, and I've been working on this for the last few years, think about things sometimes as an uh, both-and experience. Um, our thought, our linear thought is it's either this or it's that. And Eastern thought, and surprisingly, I don't know if surprisingly, this is an Eastern book. It's not a Western book, it's an Eastern book. Um, Eastern thought is very much both-and. What? what do you mean? Well, Jesus says it all the time. If you lose your life, you're going to find it. Those will be the last, will be the first. Those are pretty both-and weird sorts of combinations that don't fit linear, linearly into what we might think. So we're talking about this not to create an either-or position, but a both-and position. This has been personal for me in some ways, and I wasn't sure that I was going to share this, but I did the first service, so I should this time. But I have a, my youngest daughter, I have three daughters, Youngest daughter is 16, and she's adopted from China. And we got her when she was 11 months old. Needless to say, she does not have blonde hair or blue eyes, nor does she have any kind of Swedish in her background, which is what my two biological kids have, which I have and my wife has, and everybody else. So we've experienced awkward conversations um, and, it, and it, you know, weird comments. We've had to discuss things with Sylvia, with our family, with others. So <clears throat> I have that side. The other side, if you will, both and, um, I was a, a police officer for 10 years in Oregon City and Woodburn. So that is kind of in my DNA as well. So this has been an important topic to think about the next step. So that's a little bit about why we're doing it this way, where we're coming from. Um, Becky is super, and I appreciate her coming here. And I'm going to just let her give you a couple tidbits of information okay. about what you find interesting about your life. <laughs> <laughs> First off, if anyone's... Am I on? Okay, if anyone's impressed by me, I'm sorry I'm about to fall hard off a pedestal. Um, so, yeah, not impressive. But I did study for a very, very long time. Um, my, probably the most important things to know about me, there's really only two, um, because that's about the bandwidth I have in my life, and uh, the first is my family. I married my high school sweetheart. I adore him. I was not nearly smart enough to pick as well as I picked. I mean, he's just great. Um, yeah, he's my person. Um, he took the kids camping this week, weekend, so, and I couldn't go because we were doing this, so as much as I love them, I also got the first hours alone in a room since COVID started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I am feeling, and I got a haircut for the first time since, I mean, I'm on top of the world right now. Plus, I'm in church with other believers 
I don't even know you, and I know your hearts from the songs you sing. And we prayed together this morning backstage, and I just, happy, happy is the only word I can think of. So, um, what does that have to do with my family? Anyway, uh, I have four kids. My oldest is 23, and she's a newlywed. She married in October. Um, my next one is 22 or 21. I have, <laughs> have to check later. She's born in 90. Four. <laughs> I have four. <laughs> uh, she is a white water rafting guide. So if any of you are into adventure, she takes people over the largest commercially waterfall um, in the United States. So she does that out at White Salmon. She's a spunky little thing. Uh, I have a 14-year-old, Emily Grace. She is my little clone. Um, she actually is at that stage where she fits in better with the older kids right now than she does with her 12-year-old brother, <laughs> who, oh, I love him, and he's 12, and he's been locked in the house with no friends for a very long time, so we're praying for him. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's one half of my life. The other half of my life is that I absolutely adore the Old Testament. Uh, I like Hebrew. I teach Hebrew. I've written a Hebrew grammar. I enjoy that because it gets people into the text. So um, I could talk about that all day long. Just know that there are no other skills. So pretty much when I do anything ridiculous, my family just looks and says, <laughs> she's good at Hebrew. It'll be okay. <laughs> so, and it's true. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's me. Um, I really love looking at the Old Testament for a number of reasons, but one is going to come through today. There's an honestness about it, um, a rawness. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable and rather brutal. Um, but I appreciate the honesty about life and that there is a place for us to be hurting and broken in the midst of everything that goes on in the world. And so. Yeah. Yeah. True that. <laughs> um, and we had uh, Lamentations 3 read, and Lamentations is what, I don't know, 6, 12 chapters, something more than 3. Um, Six. So, Lama and we had chapter 5. Sorry. Okay, good. So, <laughs> Lamentations is, is 5 chapters, and we had verse, uh, chap part of chapter 3 read, and that is a very hopeful, very optimistic, very um, forward-thinking chapter, but in, or part of the chapter, it's not even the whole chapter. But in order to get to that, that part that we really like, and probably even if you didn't know it was from Lamentations, you're like, I've heard that before somewhere. Um, we talk a lot about there is the pain, brutality, um, suffering that is surrounded by that. Um, and you want to give us some insights, some thoughts yeah. as it relates to, again, we're not trying to just, it does relate to all pain and suffering, but we're also trying to really dive in and poke at the current situation. So, yeah. 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 By current situation, again, we're talking about some of the things that have been going on recently in our culture. Uh, COVID is one of them. Uh, loneliness, um, fear. I don't, I might be just over it by now. So the fear for me isn't quite as strong, but at the beginning, those first few days when the government's telling us we're shutting everything down, but don't be scared. But schools are closed, and no one can fly anywhere, and you can't leave your house. But don't be afraid. I was like, I'm afraid. I don't know what in the world is going on. So those kinds of things. And then even more recently with the spotlight put on um, 
the murder of George Floyd and a number of others and um, people of color standing up and saying, look, guys, this isn't a one-time thing. This is what we deal with. This is our life. Um, so, and again, I love how you alluded to this earlier. There's so many perspectives. Um, I had to make some decisions because of some of the faculty I'm on and um, different boards that I serve with. And the decision even to sign a statement, you know, can I say I align myself with Black Lives Matter? But what about the police officers out there? Will they hear that and think that I want them, you know, where, where what, how, is it, how am I supposed to respond? And um, a teaser, a little bit of an alert, we don't know. We're not, you're not going to walk out of here with a, oh, they thought this. Yeah, if you want your money back right now, <laughs> go get your <laughs> refund. <laughs> He's walking away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there is a response, and there are actually a couple of responses that Scripture does model. And I picked Lamentations 3 for a couple of reasons. One of them is that I don't, I don't know how many of you are on social media. Facebook is about as sophisticated as I get. But you'll see these calls from godly men and women around the country calling people to lament. And our pastor, Tim Osborne, at Mosaic in Portland, did the same thing. He called for lament. And this was right after the riots. And... Um, I was like, yeah, praise God, someone's using a word from the Old Testament, <laughs> and let's lament. But I realized as I was reading passages about lament that it didn't quite fit me, but it did fit the situation. So this is one of the things we're going to talk about. The first time I picked a passage that shows lament, lament from the perspective of the person that is absolutely beat up, feels brutalized. And then I picked another passage that kind of fits my response, my feelings a little bit better, and that is the one that is looking at the brutality on every level, please, you know, and just grieved, just so sad that I want to lament or repent or whatever, but I don't quite know what to do. And so we'll get to that one in a minute. But the first one um, is Lamentations 3. And ironically, it was not hard to find this passage because ever since I started studying the Old Testament, this passage, when I read it slowly, I read it lots of times before, but when I read it slowly and realized one of the things it was saying, it became the quintessential vision, image for me. Poetry is very full of image of what it looks like to feel beat up by life. And that image that's couched in these verses I'm gonna read um, is the image of God having attacked a person. Now, that sounds just outrageous right there. We could stop and have a whole dialogue about that, but if you've ever suffered pain, I, I shared this in the first service. I hope it's okay to share again. It's a little bit transparent, but um, my husband and I had a son that we lost a few hours after he was born about 14 years ago, and um, 
I did not rage against premature labor. I didn't rage, you know, I raged at God. Like, God, why did you let this happen? And that's what the author's doing. He's taking the oppression that he has felt and saying, God, you, why did you do this to me? Now, to the image. The image that he gives is one of God kneeling on his neck and grinding his face in the dirt after he has subjugated him. And so I'm watching this video that I couldn't watch very much of, and I'm going, Lamentations 3! Drama. (laughs) Um, Probably I might be the only person in the world looking at it and seeing that. (laughs) Um, Thanks, Doug. (laughs) But what stood out to me is even though I don't know the right response. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what my students of color are supposed to do when they call me, like, what do I do? I don't, do I stand up and speak? Do I sit down and listen? Do I march? Do I not march? I, I don't know, but I have a picture in scripture that allows for the kind of pain that these people are experiencing. I say these people because I feel a little like I'm looking on for the out, from the outside. For me to claim that this is my pain in this instance wouldn't be fair. I have had my places where I have felt very persecuted. Um, I'll just slip this in there in case you're not aware being a female in biblical scholarship can be a rocky road, and it's not one I full of battles that I wanted to fight, so there have been those places. But a little past where I'm going to read from in just a second, we read this today. Um, it talks about why God will stand up and defend. He says to the one who's crushed underfoot, and to the prisoners in the land, to, to deny a man his rights before the Most High, to deprive a man of justice. And we're kind of looking at that in our culture right now. That's what people are standing up and saying is happening to them. And he says, wouldn't God see these things? Which translated means God cares he sees that. So when I, when I read these verses from Lamentations, and if you want, you can go ahead and put them up on the board, um, what I want you to see <clears throat> is there is a place, it's a valid feeling, even if you yourself haven't felt it, it's a valid feeling to feel so attacked, deprived your rights, having no dignity. Um, that it causes this much pain, and that the text is telling us that God cares about it. He cares deeply about it. In fact, he invites the author to bring it right to him. It's not the police's fault. It's, it's yours, God. Why did you, you know, and then all these questions I'm not even going to presume to ask. So I'm going to start in verse 7, and remember that the he that I'm reading about here is God. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. 
He has weighed me down with chains. Now poetry, I'm sure you all know this in the scripture, is meant to be read kind of slowly and to picture each image. And each image is going to shift slightly so that all together they build a picture. The picture that I get at the end of this is pretty much oppression. So picture being walled in. You, you can't go anywhere. Picture chains. Picture the next one is going to be helplessness. Even when I cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. If you've read any of the scriptures anywhere else, this should be like, what? He makes my path straight. What's the author thinking? He hears our prayers. But this author is saying, that's not what I'm experiencing right now. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me. Doug, I caught when you said, we're going to look at some carcasses. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. Not just attacked, but it's like you're a plaything, a practice thing. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver, and I became a laughing stock of my people. They mocked me in song all day long. That lack of dignity, like you're not even worthy of our respect. You're not even fully human worthy. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. Sorry. He has trampled me in the dust. Again, if you've ever had a big brother or been a big brother, (laughs) this is that image where you've already conquered them and submitted them, but it's not quite enough. You're not quite done. They're down, but they're not out yet. So horrible picture. And we're watching it lived out. And what I want the church to know is that there is a place for lamenting that and that there is a place for those who are experiencing that to lament it. God cares so much about each of his children and so much about human dignity. I don't know what the proper response is. I can't even decide what to do about mask wearing. (laughs) Forget how to handle issues of racism, etc., But there is a place for those who feel so oppressed to stand up, and God is caring about those situations, and he doesn't like them. Yeah, and um, you use the phrase beat up by life, um, and you use several other phrases, but I the big church, and as we've talked about it, the big church often seems like uh, we're somewhat comfortable with bad things happening to good people. We don't have the greatest understanding of why that is. Um, we're okay even <clears throat> with saying, oh, God allowed that to happen. But this is taking it to a God, God, you did this to me. You did it. You didn't just allow it, but you did it. And that is a, and for you to be able to say that and point out in Scripture that that's an okay and, and God doesn't freak out. 
God's not ticked about that, no. right? So yeah. we, we have the, ooh, we can be relaxed about that as well. Yeah, um, and I forgot to tie it back into the hope that we read because there is that hope at the end in 22 to 24. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Like, this is awful. My face are ground in the dust. I'm feeling all of these things. But you're a God of love and your compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And you talked earlier about the both and. We have this, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of hope in the entire Old Testament, but you'll read just a little further and it's going to go back to two more chapters of (laughs) yuck. It's just this glimpse of hope that we hold on to. So the thought that you can, maybe this isn't a difficult thought for you. I remember again when I was grieving, there was the idea that I had to suffer righteously. And I didn't know what that looked like, but I thought it meant looking like nothing was wrong. And that's a common perception. I, I wish I knew you all better to know where you stood on that, and do you, but we have that common tendency. And this text says, no, just because you're, you're allowing yourself to grieve so deeply, whether it's over COVID or the loss of a loved one or feeling persecuted and attacked or for police, you know, that their job just got so much harder and so much more thankless or people of color that are going, really, you care now? We've been talking about this forever. This is my life, I, yeah. Either way, if you hold on to that, it doesn't mean that you aren't also holding on to the hope of God. There's, there's room for the both and, and there's room, for, there's room for pain, and God just says, here, if there's nothing else you take away, this is what God says. He says, bring it to me. Bring it to me as brutal as it feels. Bring it to me. I got this. I can handle it. I'm that big. And as we all get older in life, <clears throat> the, the pains of feeling this lament versus just seeing suffering but feeling lament, I think, hits harder or hits differently. <laughs> Maybe not even harder. It hits differently. And I'm um, glad that you mentioned them. Thank you for sharing your um, one of the places in life where you lamented. Thank you for sharing that because even though it's not specific to this point in this time about the situations we're talking about, we've all, likely we will all have experiences with lament. We're just Mm -hmm. honing it in onto this. Mm -hmm. Um, So then it brings to the point, okay, we can let people have these feelings. God's okay with it. Now what do we do? Those that are not feeling lament, those that are not feeling ground into the pavement. What do, what do we as believers do with that? Because in our brothers and our sisters and our non-believers that we want to walk through that door are legit feeling that. So what do, I mean. Yeah. Well, and that's what, when I was, I remember when I started this, I said, you know, I was hearing lament and going, yay. And then I was going to read all the passages that, because I'm a biblical scholar, I know, or lament, and they weren't quite resonating with me. I realized that there is a there is something that resonates well with me who, not just because of my skin color, just the place I am in my life is not feeling the same attacked, whatever. But what I am feeling is kind of hopeless pain. You look and think, anything I say is going to be offensive. Um, 
I want to do something, but none of the ideas that we're doing seem to be working. Um, people are calling me and saying, okay, what's the right position to stand on this? And I'm like, I have no idea. No idea. And my husband said the other day, you kind of seem like a chameleon. You know, one student will call and they'll be so angry and they're marching and every Instagram photo is this and that. And you're like, yes, I feel you. And then you hang up the phone and someone else calls and they're like, I can't believe they called me a racist. My husband's a police officer and my grandfather fought in the war and he loved, you know, and I'm like, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm nothing. So that's the place that I sit, what do I do with that? Because it's not in any way a lack of caring, but at the same time, I'm not feeling brutalized. And there is this, um, I don't know what you call it, image, no, there's this thing in scripture that we talk about very little in the church, um, at least in my experience, and it's called corporate confession or corporate repentance. Another Eastern thought that's probably less Western, but we, could, we won't go there. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Well, because we think if I repent or confess, I have to have done something horribly wrong to yeah. repent or confess. And then I mentioned this in the last sermon, if you're like me and you want to confess of everything all the time, like, Lord, I repent, I repent, I'm sorry. Sometimes you're repenting of stuff that's made up. So we aren't unstable ground with that, I don't think, in our teaching in a church usually. But there are all of these images in the Old Testament um, and, and in the New as well where people identify with the pain that's going on around them. And they know that that pain is caused by human brokenness. And they also know, you'll see from the scripture I'm about to read, that they know there's nothing, there's no solution to their pain and that the only chance they have is God's goodness. That's, that's all they've got. And the passage that I picked to reflect this corporate repentance or corporate confession, um, I chose Daniel, one because it's one of the most beautiful prayers, but there are a lot of really beautiful ones. Um, but also because Daniel's so righteous. He's just, if Daniel can look at God and say, I'm sorry for being part of the problem, <laughs> as righteous he is, as he is, then I'm pretty safe doing it too. <laughs> because sometimes we equate repenting with having done something. Now, if you've done something and you know you've been part of the problem, well, then it's easy to repent. You know what to repent of. So this is all-inclusive. Does that, is that coming across? If you know... Uh, specifically, I've been part of the problem, then you can repent for that. But if you're, say you're, you've been an advocate for people of color or for, you can still identify with this model that the righteous Daniel gives us. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read his prayer. It's in Daniel 9. Um, it's verses 4 to 6. I'm just going to abbreviate it and then read some of the end. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. 
Now, I point out the righteousness of Daniel, but I don't mean for a minute to equate myself with Daniel in this mess. I'm, I'm not saying I'm guiltless. I, I may not even know what I've done. But it doesn't matter. Notice Daniel says, we've sinned. We've done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Look over to verse 16. I'm going to start halfway through. Our sins and, our, and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around you. Now, I'm not trying to draw. There's in theological circles, there's this idea that, you know, maybe the church is Israel. And I'm not trying to make a comparison. But what I'm saying is that Israel is in a spot where they can trace their sin to the beginning of their foundings as a nation. And I think... <laughs> Gosh, so can we. And the difficulty with that is it adds so much complexity. Like, we've always been this way. How are we going to fix something that we've always gotten, that we've always struggled with? Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord. When the scripture says for your sake, what it means is because of who you are. And it'll clarify that in a minute. Not because of who we are, because we don't have the answer, but because of who he is. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. I want to pause. That's the only thing right now giving me hope. <laughs> I've got an election year. I'm not trying to be a naysayer downer, America stinks, that kind of thing. I really am not. I realize it gets really political and stuff like that, and I, you don't yeah. even know me and how I you're live. Not get, and... You're not getting political. Okay. You're stating it as it is. You're good. <laughs> okay. you're I'm good. just saying yeah. it's hard right now. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. March, don't march. Yeah. But he says it's not because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Oh, Lord, listen, forgive, hear and act for your sake, because of who you are. Same reason we've always been redeemed. Oh, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. And so when we're feeling these things that I think we're all feeling at some level, I confess I don't feel them quite as deeply today because I had a haircut some time alone, and I'm worshiping with God's people. <laughs> but in the ups and downs, when we're, when we're feeling those things, there is a model in Scripture of what we do with them. We take them right to God and say, you were our only hope from the beginning anyway. But we don't have to pretend that our righteousness helps something. We can easily at the same time say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that wickedness is so pervasive in our nation. 
Will you see us? In, in Hebrew, I didn't mention this first time, but in Hebrew, the words see, hear, remember, all of those words, um, they, they indicate that a response is coming. Like, we can, like, walk by something and not see it and not care or look at it and not do anything. That concept is just out of question for the Hebrew mindset. If you, if God sees, he sees everything. The Israelites didn't forget that. Daniel wasn't like, hey, over here, God. What he means is focus your attention on this because then you must act. It's part of their vocabulary. Hear our cries. Then you have to respond. It's kind of like a mom walking by a room where a baby's crying. Her baby. <laughs> yep, she's gonna here, and it's going to affect her. And that's what they're asking of God, but again, it's because of who he is. So, yeah, in short, this, this text reminds me that we really do have a response that we can count on, Yeah. but we don't have to be either arrogant, we can be very humble and repentant, because if Daniel can be, then we all can be, and we can also understand that when it looks helpless, it really is. There's nothing we're going to bring. If God calls you to do something, do it. <laughs> but there's nothing that we're going to have that magic solution because it's absolutely in his hands, and it has been since the beginning of time. And actually, the whole story of scriptures is the story of God calling his people to recognize that all the way through on every level. I, another reason why... This is um, helpful. Is when we, or when I started the last. I don't know. It just occurred to me a couple couple of days ago. But comparing it to Nehemiah, and you got all worked diligently through Nehemiah. It's been very practical also for your church because you guys are rebuilding <clears throat> the church, right? And so that was part of the reason to look through Nehemiah. And um, unless it, unless it says somewhere in Hebrew that I don't know. I don't think Nehemiah is the sin that's talked about. That, no, so there's no... There's Isn't no, he the hair puller, though? Or is that yeah, he does. <laughs> he pulls a lot of hair. He's... he's <laughs> oh, beards. Beards. He likes oh, beards, yes. Yeah. Um, so um, Nehemiah does all this great stuff, right, to rebuild the temple, and then when he comes back, um, the last two verses in the whole book, um, the last chapter... He comes back and things are a wreck again. I mean, it's a shambles. It's it's a it's something that he did not want. <laughs> and uh, Nehemiah says, um, "Thus I cleansed from everything foreign and established the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work." He's saying this to God after he sees everything. I've done these things. I've established these things. He's, and then he goes on, and I proved. Uh, provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first few fruits. So Nehemiah is saying all these great things that he has done. Daniel doesn't say all these great things. And then the last few, few words, remember me, oh my God, for my good. Like, you, go, you look at that as a leader and you go, what a knucklehead, <laughs> right? I don't want a leader that says, I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> Oh, boy. I am so great, and I did everything right, right? That's not, that's not a leader, right? A leader takes responsibility for things that are not their fault, and that's why we admire Daniel so much. Yeah. And as we lead as a church, 
you know, you might not have people walking and following you in the, what leadership is a loaded word, um, but we are leading um, as a church in so many different ways. Our, our role is to take some responsibility. Yeah. Um, for it yeah. as well. Well, and at least, especially, I mean, I just want to limit it, not just because I don't know any other right answer, but the responsibility before God. That's where it's starting. Um, the desperate pain, you bring it to him. The desperate pain over what you're seeing happen elsewhere, the helplessness, the confusion, you bring it to him. The um, we meet in a small group. I'm missing them this morning at Mosaic, and I have gotten to love those people so much. I'm almost scared to go back to church on Sundays because I want to see my people. But many of them, when we ask for prayer requests, they're saying, you know, my my grown children are fighting among themselves, and um, I'm seeing that with my students, too, that there's been so much pain on what is the right response and I just, I just want to encourage you all that we can all start with one right response. And then there's grace for all of those outward symbolic responses. Those symbols may offend some people or not offend other people. Um, but one thing we can agree on is right there in the text. That, that God can handle our pain and our brokenness. And that we never were the solution anyway. As, as we finish here, um, what the quote from Eugene Peterson, if you want to throw that up on the board. Eugene Peterson wrote the message, which is a, some would call it a translation, some might call it a paraphrase, paraphrase that's a word, of scripture. Whatever you call it, it um, I was reading it the other day, and his introduction into Lamentations is this. It says, um, neither explaining stuff, suffering nor offering a program for the elimination of suffering. Lamentations keeps company with the extensive biblical witness that gives dignity to the suffering by insisting that God enters our suffering and is a companion to our suffering. We're God's hands and feet. Our role is to enter into our suffering with our brothers and our sisters and our non-believing humans, um, to be a companion with them, and to give them dignity and to give their, give their suffering dignity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do that in a tangible way, so I'm going to have you guys stand up. Um, and we're going to say a prayer here. <clears throat> and Becky is going to pray kind of the lamentation portion of this prayer. Um, this is not like some magical prayer that we found somewhere. This is just how I'm breaking it up in my mind. Um, she's going to pray the lamentation part of it. And for that, what I, what I ask is you guys put your hands up as you're lamenting before God. And, and honestly, if you want to, clench your fists. That's what the author of Lamentations basically did. Um, so that is perfectly appropriate. Um, then I'm going to pray for uh, the Daniel part of the prayer, which is for all of us. And then um, when we do that, have your hands go out like this, like we are asking forgiveness, praying, and helping each other out. All right? Good? Okay. All right, off you go. Go ahead and pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I, I praise you that you are so big and so sovereign that we can come kind of waving our fists at you and saying, why did you do this? Why is the world this way? 
And we bring some of those things to you right now and just on behalf of those who are hurting, Lord, why is there so much tension in our country? And why is there so much loneliness and fear right now um, based on being cooped up or being told what to do by the government or other people not respecting those things, whatever, whatever it is that causes us to feel afraid and... Lord, for kids that don't get to play with their friends and for kids who have to listen to their parents tell them how to behave if they get pulled over for speeding so they don't get killed. Lord, that doesn't seem right. For, for people who have dedicated their lives to protecting our community, to be told to, they don't deserve their jobs, Lord, that's not right either. And we, we ask you to see and hear and listen. Lord, thank you that we have the freedom to meet together as believers. And we pray for those brothers and sisters that don't have this freedom. We also pray for those that have had their freedoms taken away or feel like they've had their freedoms taken away. Jesus, we are sorry. I'm sorry for the role I've played in that. And Jesus, help us to do better. Help us to do better. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right.